65 years after the birth of Christ, the most celebrated woman in Rome became a god. On earth, a sumptuous funeral was staged to mark her ascension to the heavens. Her corpse, stuffed with the most expensive spices that money could buy, was borne in solemn procession down the side of the Palatine, grandest and most exclusive of the city's famous seven hills. Choruses singing funerary hymns preceded it, and officials masked and costumed to look like the dead woman's ancestors. Soldiers provided her with her escort. Down into the valley that ran between the Palatine and a second, smaller hill, the Capitol, the procession went. This valley, the Forum, as it was known, was a location splendidly appropriate to the occasion. Paved with gleaming marble, hemmed in by luxury shopping centres, and adorned with a veritable confusion of statues, temples and arches, it stood at the heart of the greatest city on earth. Rome, seat of empire, abode of the gods, surveys from her seven hills the circuit of the globe. So a poet, some fifty years earlier, had hailed the city. Rome's sway, in the intervening decades, had only expanded. Even Britain, a boggy land of milk-drinking barbarians beyond the ocean, had been brought to acknowledge its rule. From Spain to Syria, all the Mediterranean was Rome's. There was no city on the shores of that ancient sea so wealthy, so beautiful, so renowned, that it did not yield place to Rome. This greatness, as the dead woman was born in sombre procession towards the cluster of structures in front of the Capitol, was manifest all around. To the right of the mourners, for instance, as they advanced along the Forum, lay a particularly spectacular sweep of temples and open spaces. The complex was barely a century old. It stood as a monument to conquest. The first stretch of it to be completed, a forum raised by a great statesman and warlord named Julius Caesar, a man of such transcendent achievement that he had ended up a god, had been built with the loot of Gaul. The second stretch, another forum, had likewise been funded by victories won across the sweep of the world. The man responsible for it had done more than any other Roman to expand his city's power. Augustus, a name signifying that he was something more than human, had been Caesar's great nephew and adoptive son, and such was his glory that it had come to put even his fathers in the shade. Augustus had made himself the ruler of Egypt, a land incomparably wealthy and fertile, completed the pacification of Spain, trampled down beneath his imperious tread the savages who lurked beyond the Rhine. He had won plunder on a scale fit to stupefy previous conquerors. Much of it he had spent on beautifying Rome. He boasted, wrote a biographer, of having found it made of brick and leaving it made of marble. Fittingly, the most splendid of all the many buildings he had sponsored, a great temple in his forum adorned with statues and a gilded roof, was dedicated to Mars, the god of war. Behind distant frontiers, garrisoned by the most formidable fighting force that history had ever known, the peoples of the civilized world lived in peace. Augustus himself, his work once done, had duly ascended to join his father in heaven.